Welcome to Making More Money for You with Magnus Carter. Whether you feel that you don't have enough money to start investing or are under the preconceived notion that investing is only for the wealthy, Magnus and his expert guests are here to help you. Now here is your host, Magnus Carter. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Magnus Carter. We are on the Making More Money for You show on Voice America Business Channel. I want to give a quick shout out to uh, my co uh, actually my guest last week eric smolinski from uh ex that's an ex-marine that actually turned his whole life around from going from a bad situation growing up to the military to investing and uh you know it can happen out there and people uh the people that listen to it i i think you got the numbers it that's like actually one of my fastest growing shows thank you for tuning in and well that show leads us to actually we touched a little bit on last week he uh eric was also a small into real estate as well but he was into the single house dwelling units uh single home single family dwelling but today i have a very great show for you today with uh lane kawaoka from simple passive cash flow.com uh welcome to the show lane hey thanks for having me Magnus. Hello, everybody. Ah, yes, excellent. You know, uh, the reason why you know we I've done a couple shows in the past. First show about uh, investing real estate, real estate, or kind of in real estate was actually turning unused rooms into uh, bed and breakfast Airbnbs. You know that that gained a lot of great traction, and I touched a little bit here and there on real estate because it's such a vast and such a um, specialized topic you know uh what you what you invest in is way different than what eric and a lot of other my other guests uh invest in uh so what what made you actually go towards multi-dwell dwelling unit or multi um multi-units i guess that would they would be called yeah yeah so i mean like you know the clients that we work with and myself included you know i used to be an engineer working a day job you know, most of us, you know, we, you know, we have money to invest. We're short on time. So we certainly don't want to flip houses or do things that are more active because, for, you know, a lot of the folks I work with are like doctors or dentists or engineers, you know, their highest and best use is at their day jobs or, you know, maybe for some of the business owners that are listening today, right? You guys have mm -hmm. successful businesses. Right. You don't want to create another job for yourself, which is what flipping houses is and what short-term rentals are. But how do you invest in real estate for capital growth as much as the tax benefits? And that's maybe what we'll kind of get into today is, you know, why do the wealthy have real estate? Well, it's something everybody can do and it's kind of easy and it can be done in a passive standpoint, but it's really the taxes. It's really the big play here. Okay. Uh, that's We can definitely cover those because I know we don't like paying uncle sam our hard-earned money we would actually like to keep as much as we can and, and grow our wealth and you brought up an excellent point by doing that but before we get into these topics and going into further in the show i i misspoke a, a couple minutes before but uh tell us about yourself you know how did you get from uh, i see you went to college and whatnot how did you get from college and working for a corporation to actually investing and owning a very profitable uh training seminar and simple passive cash flow uh as a company yeah so i mean today we own a 1.2 billion dollars of assets under ownership and you know i think that's like 8500 rental units but 
Wow. And I, I, I kind of was just brought up on this linear path of go to school, study hard, become an engineer, work for the man, do your 401k, you know, and retail investments like that. Um, you know, I bought my house to live in just with the normal 20% down payment in my <laughs> early 20s. And then because I was a construction engineer working on the road all the time, I was never home. So I just decided to rent it out. And that was that was way back in 2009. And that was really where I got this taste of cash flow. And I realized, man, I was making a lot more money, you know, with my the tenant paying down my mortgage, the cash flow, the tax benefits and the appreciation than I would ever dream to get in this so-called 401k normal stuff. Um, and, you know, if, I was making like three, four, five times as much in that stuff. And if, you know, people want to watch like a video where I kind of break down how much do real estate investors, passive real estate investors really make in terms of returns, they can go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash returns. But at that point I realized, yeah, I just need to rinse, wash, repeat and buy more rental properties. And that's kind of what I did for the next decade or so. Okay. Now did when you, we're looking at the rental properties. Did you stay close to where your first property was or were you doing it as you were actually working because you were still working for that company at the time still? Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. So very different. Right. And I think I, I said at the top, right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, most people think of real estate investing as flipping houses or wholesaling. Right. You know, that's not what I do or, you know, especially for kind of our profile of people we work with. Right? We're more, our time is more valuable than our money. Um, so it's just a matter of, you know, when you're starting out, you're saving the 20% down payment and going after good solid assets. So, you know, I was buying properties where I lived in when I was in Seattle, um, bought a few units there, but then I realized that sophisticated investors invest in, you know, lesser known areas or secondary markets where you have this thing called the rent to value ratio higher than 1%. So, you know, the, it's it's pretty simple math, right? A lot of you guys can do this at home right now as you're listening, but you take the monthly rental price divided by the purchase price and you're looking for something 1% or higher so that you know you're going to cash flow on a positive basis. So, you know, you take a property out in, you know, California, that's $400,000 and it's probably in a rough area you'll want to invest in, but that's, you know, you're probably going to rent for a couple grand. So $2,000, $2,000 divided by $400,000 is half a percent. That's less than the 1% ratio, then it's not going to work. Uh, what we kind of focus on is like, you know, places that make $1,000 a month in rent divided by a $100,000 purchase price. That's the 1%. That's, you know, that's a quick and dirty way of, you know, vetting the numbers really quickly. Um, you know, if people want to go down to our website and download our free analyzer, they can kind of get into the nitty gritty. But you know, for, for our purposes today, the, the rent to value ratio is kind of what we look at first because we want to go into assets that cash flow just in case there is a recession, you know, behold and, you know, cash flow and chill after that. Well, yeah, you brought up a great point is recession. A lot of people, <clears throat> the, these current times are not the best at, at, you know, putting it very mildly of actually investing in something like this. So how do you, leverage um your assets to actually help you invest and continue your investing and build yeah so the people who got hurt in 2008 were the boneheads investing in appreciation and gambling that the prices were going up which is very different than what we do i mean that's why we call it simple passive cash flow for a reason right it's cash flow first 
Mm-hmm. So we want to be going into assets that, you know, hit that 1% rent to value ratio that produce positive revenue every single month, even after expenses, property management, you know, because we don't do that. We, we, we outsource that garbage activity out, right? Because okay. our highest and best use is making more money for the down payments to go buy more assets to expand our balance sheet and asset sheet there. But that's that's kind of the the big thing is you know go into fiscally positive investments so that if there is tough times, well we just hold in cash flow. We don't necessarily need to sell. And right. in, in fact, like whether the price goes up and down, we don't really care, right? Because we always want to sell in the right time. But if we don't, we want to just hold in cash flow, and the, you know the property's not bleeding us money like it would in Seattle or California. You know those types types of assets, and, and to your point with that is you want to keep as many tenants as as possible within those units as well. Am I correct? And you want to stay away from the the places that actually the cost of living goes up astronomically, where they can't afford that and have to move out of the area. Well, that can also help us out, right? Like right. I think you know more and more people, and and that's why we focus on workforce housing, so the lower middle class, so rents mm-hmm. between seven hundred dollars to Twelve, thirteen hundred dollars a month, right? Okay. Um, these are the people that are on the lower middle class. They typically will not buy houses to live in. They just can't afford it, right? They can't save up twenty, forty thousand dollars to save their life. And not saying it's right or wrong, it is what it is. And that population is going to be increasing, which is why the reliance and the need for like apartments or you know nice little single family homes that rent for around a thousand bucks is going to be increasing. It's not a sexy way of investing. It's, you know, it's not super glamorous, but as far as like the risk reward profile, um, I think as an investor, you, you can't beat it, right? I mean, it's just, there's an undersupply of houses, especially in this demographic and, you know, people need a place to live. And as a landlord or an investor in a syndication deal, taking down like a large apartment, you know, I think it's all like, to me, it's like no brainers. I mean, you look at all kinds of businesses out in the world, you know, it's you're you're backed by real estate and it's in like a you know, it's just the fundamentals align. Like there is less supply than there is growing demand for this stuff. Oh, you're right. It, more and more everybody is either moving or they're becoming of age or getting out of college and they need places to live. And what you're what you're actually teaching is the people that invest in this are having cash flow that comes in, you know, and the more units you have and the better condition they are and, and whatnot, the better uh, your return is. Am I correct with that? Yeah. I mean, and you just have to yeah. beat the people in your asset class, right? So like, I mean, we don't go after luxury apartments or luxury properties because that's just, you know, I don't feel like you get the return on investment for that stuff. It may appreciate better. But again, we're more cash flow oriented investors, more value investors. And, you know, we focus in on these types of properties where if there was a recession, mm-hmm. you know, we play these kind of war games are in our head, you know, that the A class tenants will move down to the B's and C's where we are. So our business demand goes up as times get difficult, if that ever happens. Hopefully it doesn't. But if it does, you know, you want to, this is where like pr- short term rentals, you know, short-term rentals are all discretionary spending. It just just dies off a map. And that's not what I want to base my... I want to go into an investment or a business, essentially, where 
right now things are good, but if things are bad, I can still stay in business. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, you brought up a great plan, uh, some technical stuff here. Can we clarify what differentiates the classes of like A, A B, and C classes? You know, how do, how do you determine what to invest in, how many to invest in, in a certain demographic, or can we can we expand on that? Yeah, Please. yeah, great, great question. So, like the way we kind of grade these properties is, you know, the asset class and then the, the tenant profile. So two different things. Tenant profile is kind of like the neighborhood and location. Okay. The the neighborhood location um is probably more important, right? So you have mm-hmm. A class areas, B class areas, C class areas. So A class areas are all your your yuppie, your cool places to be, right? Coffee shops, people walking their dogs, you know, you're not gonna find properties that will produce positive cash flow in these places. Just too expensive. Your rent to value ratios are going to be out of whack there. So what we're trying to look for is there's a nice little sweet spot in the high C's and the low B's. Now, these places are categorized as, and this is all a, a, a feel thing, right? There's no like hard and fast rule on it. But if you walk to a certain sub-market, you know, you kind of know what it is. But essentially what we look for is, you know, a place that maybe I wouldn't want to be there in the, in the nighttime, but in the daytime, it's all right. You know, it's relatively safe. It's not going to be where the best schools are, you know, because that's where the A-class locations are that don't make, you know, financial sense. But it's certainly not where the war zones are. You know, there's not really violent crime there. There's some theft. There's some graffiti there, of course. But, you know, it's kind of in that middle rung. Um, and then, you know, moving over to the asset class side, you know, like A-class is more your, you know, your 2010s built later, your newer properties your class B's or maybe your 1990s to 19, you know, your 2010s. And then your class C's are any from like 1950s, you know, up to the 90s, right? Okay. Um, you can have, you know, it's not a bad strategy to buy any of those types of properties in those B type of areas. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, we try and buy the B and C properties in the better location because I can't really do okay. too much with the location but we can force appreciate the assets in, in wherever it's at. And that's pretty much our, our simple business plan. We take over an apartment in a, you know, B or better area to pick, you know, to pick an A area, but it might be an old beat up 1950s, 1960s, 1970s property, but we might throw in five to $10,000 of rehab into every unit. So new flooring, new paint job, new appliances to spruce it up a little bit. Nothing huge, right? We're not banging down walls or taking down cabinets or anything like that. <laughs> and and again, like it's not like it's none of the stuff you see on like HGTV. Like that's just too much rehab. That's over rehab. Yeah, like, we're just lot. trying that's to it. bump the rents up, you know, hundred, couple hundred bucks across the board um, as we cash flow. As the, all the other ninety-five percent of the units are being mm-hmm. tenanted by and producing cash flow for us. Okay, all right, that makes a lot of sense because I noticed. Uh, I don't know how much you get out to the East Coast here, where I'm actually at. I remember when Atlantic City got like that, all the casinos, the casinos that went out, people bought the casinos up and did exactly what you were talking about. And they made those efficiency apartments uh, on the boardwalk because who who else does not want to live on the boardwalk? Which is, you know, that's, and I see your point is um, the more, the more, uh, you want to have more uh, more income and more tenants coming in than like you're saying with the A class, 
you don't you don't want the ups and downs and things happen and whatnot for a couple extra thousand dollars you'd rather have the steady income right right like we okay. want to i mean I, I i truly believe that we position ourselves to to have the best risk adjusted return there's a lot of things in this world that you can invest in like altcoins or you know crazy businesses that you can make a whole lot of money but as far as like you know people google the term the sharp ratio or essentially which is the risk adjusted return right what is the most return you can make for the least amount of risk i think that is you know just this workforce style housing where you spruce it up a bit you know call it lipstick on a pig i i don't think like you know if you play the war games of a recession coming tomorrow i think you're you're doing all right you, know, you get a tenant in there you have you know you can screen the right tenant because you have a pretty good uh product right a good right. quality value um dwelling unit and you could pick and choose from a quality tenant okay that makes the, the screening process is definitely part of it uh especially getting the right people in there because you don't want to have get into legal battles for whatever yeah. reason and you want to have that pre-screening then do your homework on it instead of multiple turnover rates yeah and, and that's you know you kind of get into the operations a little bit and that's where we advocate for our investors don't even deal with that stuff just outsource it out to a property management company that's that's their sole job is to operate and fill that thing with a good tenant it's partially their problem too right if they pick, pick right. the bad person um you know, so whether you're on the residential side or for us the commercial side you know, the property managers you know they're the best money we spend so is our feeling okay well a lot of my listeners are are looking at other ways to, to generate income that's the, what the main focus of this is making more money for you the listener and for people that are already investing so to get into this type of in real t uh real estate what do you actually look for when you look at a building besides well we one we talked about location what other factors determine whether it's a good fit or if it's one that should be bypassed yeah i mean i think we'll start from the other side like it's not really the particular building i mean it's at that point it's more numbers right is this thing going to okay. hit my rent to value ratio and a lot of that is doesn't really matter what it looks like um and, and this is another reason why we like apartments because it's essentially cookie cutter it's just okay. you know the interior walls at the end of the day um whereas single family homes are all different different shape but even single family homes it's just essentially square footage and bedrooms and baths right. for us it's more macro factors such as you know, like we don't invest in primary markets like new york san francisco seattle hawaii you know miami boston because you're just not going to have the rent to value ratios there for it to make sense you know we'll focus more on these secondary markets like birmingham atlanta indianapolis kansas city memphis little rock huntsville you know places in texas um and then secondly we focus on red states um not to say anything politically but when i'm the landlord or when you're the landlord you want to have the landlord laws on your side you know right. um you know when people don't pay you can kick them out imagine that um and then you know it's just numbers after that okay so it's a it's all a numbers game if you get the right number uh combination with the building that you found if it goes you can actually go do that uh and actually invest in it and then turn it around like you were saying then start outsourcing people because you're yeah, gonna need 
you need like a little army of people that work that will actually make the rest of the the investment work for you. Yeah, and and this isn't rocket science, right? Like, I mean, the supply demand, like, even in this whole country, right? Like, the population is increasing, and the need for this lower income workforce style housing is certainly growing. That bottom half is growing. Um, this is that's where we try and look for places that we call emerging markets, right? Places that are increasing in population, and a lot of this is very readable information out there. Um, you try and buy on in the states and cities that are increasing in population and then you know less more important than like what does the building look like it's more like what submarket or what block by block are you in you know is that kind of an area where up and coming jobs or just generally population growth you know is kind of the driving factor um you know after that you know just get a property manager and you're off and rolling or you just you know if if you're already a successful business owner, you know, and you're an accredited investor, just you know, find you know reputable syndication operators and jump in as a passive investor in a large apartment complex investment. Okay, with doing that is you just can you walk us through through actually going through that process as another alternative instead of going through everything of the calculations or uh, would that be uh, also splitting splitting profits and what you were talking you were talking yeah, about right yeah now. exactly so like you know like i think for most people who are not accredited yet to make buy rental properties makes a lot of sense because you don't have that much money mm-hmm. but for a lot of accredited investors and accredited investors are you know people who make over two hundred fifty thousand a year or they have a net worth of a million dollars buying little dinky rentals isn't going to really move the needle for you in fact after a certain point it's going to create a lot of headache for you um, in 2015, I had 11 of these rental properties. And yeah, I had a professional property manager doing all my dirty work for me, but it got to be, you know, 10, 11 rentals at a few hundred dollars a ca- positive cash flow month is $3,000 a month. I mean, it's great, but it's- need more, right? You're going to need right. a lot more than that. And, you know, like for somebody, for just to give some people some insights on those 11 rentals, I had maybe an eviction or two every year um some kind of big issue that happened every quarter like a tree fall on the house or like some kind of minor flood out in the basement or something like that no problem because you know the property manager takes care of it and you just have to kind of bird dog them that it gets done it's not a big deal but you know if you increase that frequency rate by three times if you had like a 30 um, units in your portfolio then it just becomes kind of a second job in a way And this is where like, I kind of went on a personal discovery and I joined different mastermind groups and got around other higher net worth investors. And a lot of them were ditching their little rental properties to be a passive investor in a syndication that would buy a large apartment complex. And, you know, all this is, you know, through SEC documents of 506C offerings where, you know, you jump in as a passive investor, no different than like a joint venture, but- There might be 50, 200 investors all putting in, you know, 50, 100 grand, you know, on into the pot of 10 million to go buy a 300 unit apartment complex. Um, some people call this private equity, right? Um, is another word for this. But the way that I explain this, it's kind of like an airplane, you know, like an airplane, you have the cockpit filled with the general partners, the sponsors of the deal. 
these are the guys who do everything. They find the deal, they use their connections, they they put the debt in their own personal name and they fly the airplane and all the past investors come in coach and they go to sleep. You know, that's okay. that's their uh <laughs> and they collect their their split of the profits as they have equity ownership sharing. Oh, all right. Well that's just hand them a check and watch the money come in. Yeah. Sit down, be quiet and watch a movie, go to sleep and catch your checks. <laughs> but this allows investors to jump into dozens of different individual projects, right? To get the right. diversification on their end. And, um, you know, I think the biggest thing is, as I've kind of realized that like, you got to get off of the retail investment path because the retail investments to the big brokerage firms or Wall Street or your financial planner are all just kind of retail garbage um, with a whole bunch of, um, you know, middleman fees paid to everybody along the way. And and this is very early on. I was like, why the heck am I making eight to 10% supposedly in my 401k that goes up and down like roller coaster, mm-hmm. yet I can make. 25 to 30% in my little simple rental property that I didn't think that was that great of a deal when I bought it. I just bought it retail off the MLS. You know, people can go look at, you know, again, simplepassivecashflow.com slash returns, check out that video. And then that for me very early on was the aha moment. I was like, well, who's stealing all my money then if I'm only making eight to 10% in this garbage? And right. Congratulations, everybody. You've uncovered the curtain behind the, the that's covering Wizard of Oz. It's all a sham. They're all stealing your, all your investment money. Mm-hmm. If you guys just did it yourself or jump more directly aligned with the sponsor or the person doing the deal, you cut out all these middlemen and you can take on a lot less risk and make much higher returns. Thank but you're... you know, it requires a little bit of effort on your part. Whereas most people out there just play on their computer all day long and just kind of blindly trade their 401ks and mutual funds and little stocks here or there. Oh, you're right about that. Knowledge goes a long way, especially in this in this world. But Lane, already we're halfway through the show. We have to we're gonna go back. Uh we've actually talked about your path to investing, how you got into it, a couple of different classes of investments. You know, what makes a good invest what makes a good investment, how to actually keep the cash flow coming in. So we're gonna take a break right now and we're gonna come back and talk about taxes and a little bit about more about you as an entrepreneur and uh you're also an author. So I'd like to get into that a little bit as well. So guys, uh thank you for tuning in. I have Lane here with simple cash pa- simple passive cash flow, and we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. 
Everyone deserves the opportunity to have access to the knowledge to make their own choices when it comes to where their money goes. Listening to Making More Money for You with Magnus Carter will give you that access. Investing isn't just for the wealthy. Making More Money for You, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. You are listening to Making More Money for You with Magnus Carter. If you have any questions for Magnus or his guests, join us on the show at 866-472-5789. That's 866-472-5789. Now back to the show. Here is Magnus Carter. Welcome back, everybody. If you're just tuning in, thank you for joining us. I am your host, Magnus Carter. You are on the Making More Money for You show. I have my guest with me, Lane, from Simple Passive Cash Flow. Uh, we talked about the introduction to actually investing in multi-home dwelling units. Uh, welcome back, Lane. Thank you for being part of this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. We It was a great conversation that we talked about in the first half of the show. Is, you know, we went over the classifications of buildings, what makes buildings worth investing in, and how to actually make sure that your investing is positive instead of a negative return you know and which doing that is everybody does not want to pay the tax man so how does owning real estate help you as an entrepreneur slash business person fight the government not really fight the government but keep more money in your pocket than uncle sam's yeah i mean I'm I'm not a CPA or a tax attorney, right? So I'm going to caveat everything you're going to say in this next half. But I also don't pay too much taxes too, right? And sometimes the CPAs, they're not the best at tax strategy. They can do a tax form. That's why they went to school for that, right? But you know, you never take financial advice from somebody who's not financially free or haven't figured it out themselves. And a lot of those CPAs, quite frankly, still have jobs that they work and they trade time for money. So um, take everything I say with a grain of salt. But you know the, the cool thing about real estate is it creates a tremendous amount of paper losses or passive losses. Um, so like you know people who've owned rental properties before, they know that they can take uh, they can deduct the price of the of the property improvement over 27 years. You know so like I had my first property was like about $350,000. Um, this is in Seattle where the price of the land was pretty high because, you know, it's kind of the West Coast. But I was able to take about $6,000 of depreciation every year because the land improvement divided by 27 years that came out to about $6,000 a year as a paper loss. Um, I didn't lose money, but that, that money, that $6,000 paper loss can be used to offset my gain in that property. So say I made $5,000 in profit that year, I could deduct the $6,000 and be negative 1,000, even though I certainly made money, right? But right. it's effectively knocked out my my gain. Um, and that, that should be an aha mode for a lot of people. But wait, there's more, right? So like 
the cool thing that I discovered when I started investing in syndications as a passive investor is because these assets are so much bigger, you can do what's called a cost segregation study. I mean, you can cost seg anything you want, but cost segregation studies do cost like five to ten thousand dollars. And you know, at that point, instead of waiting 27 years, you can a lot of times deduct one third of the property value all in the first year. So this might augment wow. your first year loss by maybe tenfold, you know, maybe more. Um, so this, what this does, it creates a huge, huge paper loss, more than you're ever going to make your first several years in the investment, more than likely. So that's, you know, now you're just knocking out the, the gains from that individual investment. But Pat, so here's, I think, where we lose some of the, the kind of the, the invest or the, the CPAs, right? Like what you can do is you can group all your investments on your, that are considered passive income. And you can use these passive losses to knock out the passive income from all these investments. You can group this stuff. So like if you have other rental properties or you have other business where you're a passive investor on, you can use these losses to knock out these gains. Now, what you can't do is you can't use the losses to offset ordinary income, right? Passive losses offset passive income, but pa okay. passive losses cannot offset ordinary income unless, unless you implement a, uh, you can check the box on your taxes that you are a real estate professional. Now, we're not going to get too much in the, into the details today on how do you mm -hmm. get this, this little box checked on your taxes, because there's a multitude of ways to do it. But, you know, some of the easy ways is, you know, just getting a little short-term rental or just getting a little rental property, you know, but you, you certainly can have a job. But, you know, one use one use case is like, you know, we'll have a lot of high, you know, income earners, like a doctor, or a successful business owner making $600,000 a year in ordinary income, right? Again, we can't use the passive losses to offset the ordinary income unless they qualify for a rep status or real estate professional status. But in many cases, you know, for especially for a business owner or a doctor, they may have a spouse not having a job. So if we can create the, the situation where they are acting in a facet of real estate professional, um, you know, now what happens is they can use all these losses they're getting from their real estate activities as a passive investor or, you know, even rental properties and lower their income. So ideally, you know, we do this all the time, you know, a doctor making $600,000 a year, if we can lower them down to $200,000, a delta of 200,000, you know, 50 cents of the dollar is pretty much the tax difference right there. We just saved oh, them a hundred grand by just doing that. So it's a very powerful thing. And, you know, it's kind of your, the knowledge of doing how to do this. Um, and this is what kind of befuddles me. Like, you know, supposedly like Joe Biden's going to be going after all the people that make over $400,000 in income. I'm like, well, all the real estate investors just kind of laugh at that because, you know, you should be able to just lower your income to whatever you want. Right. So you don't get hit by all those $400,000 um, activity. So it's very like, there's definitely a difference between high income earners or successful business owners and the wealthy people that know these types of strategies. They're completely legal. And exactly what, to me, the way I see it is, it's not that you're dodging taxes. You're just following what the freaking IRS code is telling you to do. Right. 
they want you to invest in this type of stuff, especially like workforce housing, right? Like we're not China. We don't have these government subsidies or these government projects. Like th this is how they get the money into the system. I mean, they give us really sweet government Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac subsidized loans. Mm -hmm. So we can go buy a $50 million apartment so we can house and give these lower middle-class workforce housing, good quality living conditions because the government is not in that business. Oh no, because the people that can't afford that and not working are not paying taxes. So they can't collect the money on their end of it. And it keeps you investing, keeping keeping the money turning. Yeah. And and this is like this is kind of our ideal client is like this the the working middle class, the shrieking mm -hmm. middle class, if, should mm -hmm. I say, right? Like it's it's not the poor people paying the taxes. Mm -hmm. They get handouts. Um, although sometimes the the lotteries are a way of taxing the poor, I would say, but we won't get into there. Um, yeah, that's, it's a, not the, that's a different it's not show. The wealth, yeah, it's not the wealthy people, right, who know how to use real estate to create a whole bunch of losses on their side and, and minimize their taxes. It's the middle class that suffers, right? The, mm -hmm. the, the hardworking people that are blindly duped into going to these 401ks and you know, really, these are the high producers of society that are getting killed the most with taxes and paying the bill for the highs and the low mm -hmm. and people. And then when the last couple of years that, you know, everything shut down, you know, that devastates everything except the housing because everybody still needs housing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, I mean, this is kind of my passion behind simplepassivecashflow.com. I mean, it's as somebody who was working in the cubicle as an engineer and mm -hmm. did everything I was supposed to do, right? Study hard so I can be a high contributor society and then invest in my 401k. And yet I'm the one paying everybody's taxes and government subsidies. Um, I just think it's wrong, but there's a different, if you educate yourself and which we do, you know, on the podcasts and the YouTube channel and, you know, people want to just buy the book. You know, it's there's a there's a very you start to learn that the the wealthy do things very differently. Yes, but it's something that that people that the average person just can't start to implement. But it's just surrounded with a lot of noise and con conflicting information that I think people can't wrap their heads around. Because as myself, like I didn't have any accredited investors or friends or family or contacts that I could really ask, like, how do you really get wealthy? as opposed to just bang your head against the wall and with all these other retail investment options and pay a lot of taxes in the meantime. Hmm. You brought up a, a lot of points here. So with you, you know, doing so well, you offered to do to spread this knowledge in, in your book. And I believe your, your, your book is actually on Amazon. If I'm correct, am I right on that? The, the journey to simple passive cash flow. Yeah, it's very simple, book? right? Invest in good deals where you trust people and you're closer to the action. You don't have all these middlemen. Secondly, mm -hmm. use the the passive losses from real estate investments. Maybe implement rep status to pay less taxes. Um, and then, you know, do a little infinite banking too. That's kind of the last thing. But the, the combination of those three strategies often gets people to financial freedom three or four times as quickly than doing it the normal way where you're kind of white knuckling your way and saving your way to, you know, your retirement. And sometimes retirement's not even an option for some people. And yeah. that's, that's horrible. Yeah. 
if you're not saving $10,000 a month, I don't think you can ever retire. I mean, probably <laughs> no, have to keep working market. forever. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the sad thing, right? It's definitely the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, right? Mm -hmm. Like most of my investors are able to save 25, 50 grand per year because they make a, a good salary. But until they start to put their money into the right investments that make more money than they are at their day jobs or trading time for money, mm -hmm. um, they don't really start to accelerate. And that's essentially in this world, you know, there's two kinds of people, people who trade time for money and people who, right. um, you know, have money work harder for them where they don't have to do anything. And then there's a small portion of people in the middle that I think I, I think are kind of in our community. Okay. You know, it's, it's very diverse out there because not, not everybody will, will grasp this and not everybody will find this as their path, but just to try something out, just to get out of that nine to five mentality to even to move, move into a, a better life instead of, you know, waiting for the clock to hit five o'clock. Um, yeah. And you, and you did make a, a valid point, you know, earlier is project management or uh, property management. So during your progression up to where you're at right now, is there a natural progressive progression from starting out to where you are, or is it just moving around doing, doing the calculations and, you know, building it slowly, or is it just jump right in and go at it? Well, I think if you, you have a, you're an accredited investor or you have a million dollar net worth or greater, I think that there's an opportunity for you to kind of jump straight into the passive investor role. Okay. Um, sure. You still have to educate yourself and, you know, expand your network. Um, but you know, I think part of this is like the journey to financial independence, right? You have to get yourself unbroke first. Okay. Um, majority of the people in this world, I would say 90% or so just don't make enough money and just spend more than they make. Mm -hmm. For those people, you know, Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, or a lot of these like, you know, save your money type of financial blogs out there, you know, I recommend those, but I'm not the person for that. The people okay. I work with right. are kind of on this 1.0 scale where they make, they say they're, they're good with their money and they make good salaries. They save, you know, 10 grand, 50 grand a year, and they need to get on the op opposite, right? They need to get away from the Susie Orman, Dave Ramsey, pay off debt and they need to go into deals with good debt service coverage ratios and have their money work for them right stop paying down their debts and get on the offense by assets essentially um kind of the rich debt poor debt mentality but was, you know like once you get going down that stage you know and you hit that million dollar net worth threshold you know you're not rich at that point you just you've yeah. kind of unlocked another portal and that's kind of where these, you know, you've got to find other people along this path. Um, but it's already such at that point, I mean, you're probably talking the point uh, 1% or less, right? Of people out there. Certainly your friends and family aren't going to be thinking the same way you are. Oh, no, no. Because, you know, we brought it up multiple times in, on different, different on multiple shows and in my books and probably and most likely in your books, we're still taught to go to school. We, you know, get go to college, get into debt, buy the house, find a job and slowly progress up the job ladder slowly. And until it's, until you're like retired, it's like, then you look back, it's like, well, what did I get done in my life instead of work all these hours and miss a lot. So I, I definitely agree with you on that. 
Well, your podcast, you brought up your podcast. What does your podcast cover all these topics or does it expand more into certain areas? Or have you found that your, uh, your audience requires something spe- specific? Yeah. I mean, the, my podcast, Pastor Real Estate Investing via Simple Passive Cash Show is kind of targeted to either you make a lot, you got a successful business or, um, you know, you, you're kind of independently wealthy in your higher net worth, or at least you want to hear the higher net worth strategies. Um, we are not an active real estate investor um, type of podcast. It, if, you know, we, we teach what to look for in deals, how to network appropriately, the taxes, and then the legal, and then infinite banking. Um, it's pretty simple, right? But it's very counterintuitive to what I think you'll find in other podcasts kind of teaching you to trade time for money, being really active. Um, we, you know, we, our assumption is that you, you're successful in your other business ventures already, or you're getting there, and or you make a high salary at your W-2 day, day job. Okay. I do have a question for you. I read on your profile, uh, one of your profiles, who deemed you the anti-investment guru? Well, that, that's, the, that, that's that the thing, right? Tell? Like, there's a big, um, I don't know who did it, but like, like financial planners are seen as somebody who you get financial advice from. I don't know who the heck came up with that. I, actually, I do know it's all these like, like, you know, the border realtors or like, you know, the, the, the investment complex that there is, right? Like the whole system is engineered to get the average Joe's money into the coffers of these large institutions where they just fee you to death, right? I would say the majority of the money that is made goes to them in fees. How else do they have these large buildings? Right. So, and I, and I think the younger generations, millennials, like there's a big distrust in financial planners already. You know, they're just like, well, just give me a freaking ETF and an index fund and I'm probably going to outperform anybody, especially when you get like this schmuck that just selling me these commission-laden products anyway. Still, we have the baby boomers that still have a lot of trust or they just don't want to break up with their financial planner who's probably a nice guy. <laughs> but, you know, again, you never take financial advice from somebody who's not financially free. And the financial planner is typically not it, you know. You're you're right. Uh, when I was being mentored, I always look for mentors or what I want what I want to go to, not what where I'm at or where I've been. And that's you know I was always taught that, especially from my mentors. It's like okay, you hit this level, and I ca- I can't teach you anymore. If you want to go further, look for somebody with you know these qualities, um, like your your finances, not so much your cars or what you see on the outside, but how they one treat you and how they uh to their thought process you know the thought process is behind the scenes because anybody can have a ferrari or you know you can buy a lamborghini you can buy the house the six six figure house and whatnot but it's the people that you know actually take the time out of their their day to actually give you time which is the most valuable thing we have yeah well i mean I, i the way i look at it is like net worth don't lie that too you know Show me somebody who, you know, is effectively using these strategies and that's the somebody I want to follow, right? But, you know, we're def- the stuff that I teach and the stuff we do in our community are definitely like, 
I don't want to say hush hush, but like people just don't understand the stuff, and it's just not being taught, and it 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 clashes with the how the large financial institutions make their money, you know. Um, but and it requires people to build their build relationships with other peers, other passive investors to find opportunities to invest in, and especially find the people who to stay away from that are dangerous. And this is what I think is difficult about getting off the beaten path. You know, when you're on the paved path, investing in retail investments, it's consistent. It's consistently right. bad, of course, like, well, like how we mentioned. But, right. you know, I guess what the nice thing is that, you know, you're not going to be taken by a shyster fly-by-night organization that just pops up and sells you a bunch of crappy rental properties or, you know, like a, a Bernie Madoff situation, which is why you know, we kind of, what I preach or what, what's worked for me personally is like, I build my network with my inner circle and very quietly we invest um, with each other and we get referrals from each other and we figure out who to stay away from and who to invest with. And that is something that I think in this day and age where people are so disconnected and, you know, especially with the younger generations, not having the people skills, it's getting harder and harder to do. Um, and it's not for everybody, not, not everybody can build organic relationships with each other. And therefore, yeah, I do think then the retail investment world will always have clients, right? Right. But what I'm saying is, look, there's another way to do it. You just have to educate yourself. You just have to get that minimum effective dose to educating yourself just a little bit and putting some work and effort behind it. And it's not that hard, but it is simple passive cash flow once you get to a certain point. And then you kind of look behind and you've kind of vastly accelerated your path to financial freedom. It's not every for everybody. And I and I and I'm thankful it's not for everybody. Because if everybody right. did what I said and you know, buy a handful of rental properties or you know, go into a handful of syndication deals, which is probably even easier as a passive investor, and you know, implement some of these tax strategies and deal with infinite banking. I mean, who would play doctor for us? Who would build our bridges? Who would push the paper, you know, out there? You know, like society would crumble, mm -hmm. right? Like, like the society needs people to just barely grow their net worth so that they keep freaking working and they pay a lot of taxes in the meantime. Now, I'm not, not, not a government conspiracist, but it just happens to be like, that's the way to have things keep working or people work and produce from a GDP perspective. But, um, you know, these days I, you know, I don't, I have the free time to kind of think about this type of stuff, but for whatever it is, like, look, yeah. if you're out there and you're, you're investing in the mainstream investment stuff, um, just consider this alternative path. If you're okay with, you know, working for another 30, 40 years, paying a lot of taxes and not, and just doing the status quo, then cool. But if you're not, do something about it, right? Before you go home, you know, don't just watch YouTube and play on the internet for the rest of the night. Spend like, you know, listen to the podcast, you know, download my analyzer, you know, do something and just get learning. And then after a while, like this stuff will sink in. You'll be like, oh, wow, this stuff really does work. And that's, you're right. A lot of things, uh, we're actually closing out the show very soon. I'll close with this. And, 
is I found the best people get the best reactions of people is when they see progress or they see the results. But the sad part about it is they want instant results instead of waiting a month or two months for the, for the money to actually come into them. But they want it like right now. And to for that, which is a wonderful time for what if the people that are listening to this on any platform out there want to learn about your way of doing this lane, how can they get in contact with you? How can they learn these ways and actually take that initial step? Yeah, um, they can reach out, uh, check out our podcast, Passive Real Estate Investing via Simple Passive Cashflow is the podcast. Uh, we've got YouTube channels, um, but they can pretty much go to simplepassivecashflow.com and then you can join our club at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club, get access to a lot of our uh, e-courses. But I, I think um, we're going to set something up for your listeners um, where they can get access to maybe the free remote investor e-course in case they want to buy a, a rental property remotely. Um, that's always a first place to start, especially for the non-accredited investors. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, maybe, um, yeah, just, you know, check us out. We've got a lot of free content. I mean, something that I was really against, there's a lot of like shysters and gurus in the real estate world mm -hmm. that, you know, teach people mainly how to wholesale houses and do all this active flipping stuff. Cause they target people who don't have very much money and they charge them like 30 grand, 50 grand. I was really against all that. So a lot of the stuff that I have is free on the internet for people just to consume. Um, it's going to take you time to go through it. Right. But you know, right. You don't pay. You got to pay with something. <laughs> yeah, you got, everybody pays with something, whether it's time, money, or uh, bartering for something. But Lane, I, I appreciate that. Uh, listeners, whole, you know, keep tuning in. Check out the Facebook group, making more money for you. I'll pay. I'll keep posting updates on this. But Lane, I have to cut this out. Uh, we're at the end of the show. I, I wish to thank you for your time because you know this content will actually help a lot of people out there to figure out that this is actually for them and they can take the initial steps. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hello, oh, abs absolutely. All right, everybody. I'm going to wrap the show up here. Uh, next week I have Tommy Breedlove, uh, uh, author of legendary and he's a motivational speaker and we are actually going to go and go from there. See, see what Tommy will bring for us. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Making More Money for You with Magnus Carter on the Voice America Business Channel. We look forward to the next show where we will be making more money for you. Until then, have a fantastic week.